Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. The challenge of it is finding the right franchisee that would actually duplicate you or your mindset and your ethics and the love that you have for your brand and how much you care about the brand and actually put that into effect and do the same thing. I don't know. 800 miles away from you. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. What if, when you started your entrepreneurial journey, you had a playbook that guaranteed your success? Would you follow it religiously, or would you deviate when inspiration strikes? Sean Lazarian had that playbook. After opening countless restaurants for big brands, he went independent and paired a winning plan with a top trend to create a powerhouse restaurant. In today's conversation, we talk about the essential elements of the plan that led to his massive success, despite a global pandemic. I moved to the United States from Iran in 98. And when I moved here, I moved to San Diego. I didn't really know much. I didn't even know how to speak English. The easiest job to get for me was a dishwasher at a restaurant. It didn't really require much of skills. And I didn't have to talk to anyone. So that's how the journey started. That's how I started in restaurant business. Uh, started as a dishwasher. After about a year, I moved up to cook position at the same restaurant. Worked as a cook for close to two years. Then became a server at that same restaurant. And then managed that same restaurant about nine months later. For a very short period of time, maybe about nine months or so. And then I felt like I'm ready to move on from that single restaurant and do something else. And Applied for a couple of different positions and got into airport operations and assistant manager for food and beverage in San Diego, working with HMS host for about eight years, went from assistant to senior ops manager, going from San Diego to Orange County. And, and then I got involved in different projects in different airports and was part of the NRO team. So I open a bunch of restaurants around the nation in Canada. That's where majority of my experience comes from, working with brands, everything from Starbucks to CPK and Wolfgang Puck, and pretty much majority of the brands that you see at airports I've worked with one way or the other, whether operating those brands or opening a new location for them inside the airports. What an amazing education as a restaurateur, right? I don't know if there's a proven blueprint for success in our industry, but if there is, it's got to be working alongside dozens of brands that have already proven successful models out, especially, especially within the confines of an airport, right? Because airports are far less about 
experience and way more about operational efficiency and expertise in manufacturing because you're seeing so many people in such rapid clips over consistent periods of time. What lessons did you walk away from that overall experience that you were like, these are things I'm going to internalize and use in my own business one day? So there was, like you mentioned, Josh, there was a lot, pretty much everything that I know about restaurant operation, marketing, landlord relationship. All of it comes from my experience at Host, whether through Host or through the brands that I've worked with in airport. But to highlight things that I've actually brought into our own brand, and I feel like it's helping us with the growth that we are going, one of the major things was how to use your real estate, right? And I've learned, as I'm sure you've noticed in airports, I learned that make the back of the house as small as you can and give more to front of the house because that's where you generate the money, right? And you should literally use every inch of your back of the house from the walls and anything that you can and i translate that into our brand so our brand is we are into small footprints 12 1300 square foot and the second location that we are opening in culver city actually the total square footage is 750 square foot it's 400 square foot of back of the house uh, the kitchen and storage and all of it. And you have about 325 of front of the house. Very small. So using the best out of your real estate and how to design the kitchen to be the most efficient in the small footprint was one of the things that I learned. And I feel like it has helped us drastically with our expansion and also our own operation. And then next thing that I would say right after that was distribution and relationship partnership with manufacturers and the importance of that, right? I mean, throughout the last two years, there has been a lot of shortages going on and in the industry. We didn't experience it as much because of the relationship that we've built uh, within the last seven years through our own restaurants and the previous relationship that I had through hosts with major distribution. And so that relationship and building that trust, that was another thing that I would say definitely helped me with expansion and also our own operation in our restaurants. So when you took the entrepreneurial leap, what was the first concept you opened on your own? So the very first one that we opened was a cafe style restaurant in downtown LA. And we had I think close to 50 different items on the menu. We were open seven in the morning to three in the morning, offering in-house deliveries and trying to cover as much market share as we could throughout downtown LA. That was the first one that we opened. So let's take a beat right there. So if you were based out of San Diego, why did you choose downtown LA? So I still lived in San Diego. The opportunity came about where a mutual friend of mine told me that he knows someone that's trying to open a restaurant in downtown, but doesn't really know much about restaurant business. So they asked me to go help him open the restaurant. I was like, sure, that's easy. I came up to downtown, look at the location. I was like, I can open this in two weeks, no problem. And through the two weeks that I was working to open the restaurant, the connection that we 
built between me and now my partner got stronger and stronger and he offered me a partnership in that initial restaurant and that's how I made the move. So there are rules, right? Like there are rules to this industry, like no massive menus when you launch, limited hours of operation until you get your feet underneath you. And then not everybody follows those rules, but the third rule that everybody follows is you throw the rule book out 24 hours before you open. Talk to me about the lessons that you learned from having a massive menu and massive hours of operation at the outset of your first location. So, Josh, I did that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I did follow the rules. It's just that I didn't follow it for a good amount of time, right? So I remember we opened doors with, I believe, I think it was like eight or nine items on the menu, right? Okay. But very quickly, it went up to 40 plus. Like I want to say within maybe two and a half months, we were at 40 plus. Initially, our hours of operation was 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., which again, I think that lasted maybe like three weeks. And then we went from 7 a.m. to midnight. And then after a couple of weeks, we pushed it to three in the morning. So I did try to follow the rules, right? But at the time when we opened that restaurant, there was a lot happening in downtown LA. There was a lot of growth happening very fast. There were construction at every corner of the blocks. And we just wanted to make sure that we are capturing and getting as many customers. And one part of bringing that awareness back then we were not very strong on social media. Social media was not obviously to the scale that it is today. And we were not really strong at it. So the majority of the awareness was how many people can we serve to bring that awareness that we exist and we are here and we can serve the community. So I tried. It's just that I didn't follow those rules for a good amount of time. And the experience was I didn't take a day off for... I would say probably about a year and a half. I worked seven days a week. And I think I was working probably 12, 14 hours a day. Loved what I did. That's why it didn't bother me as much. Till after about a year or so, that I was like, okay, at this rate, I'm probably going to have a heart attack or get sick. So went to six days a week. And then we opened our second restaurant about a year and a half, two years later. We opened our second restaurant in 2016. So I had to pull myself out of operation to be able to run both units, two different menus, two different settings. And then gradually as that restaurant picked up, that was more focused as Fry Madness. It was more focused on French fries and it was a beer and wine bar. So we felt like the new crowd that's moving to downtown with all the growth that's happening are more interested in concept-oriented restaurants versus a cafe that has everything and anything on the menu. And so we started looking to the market and see what would be the next best thing to bring to downtown that we are lacking and we don't have that around. And that's how we came about our third concept, which was the Red Chicks and National Hot Chicken Restaurant. So you decided to put Red Chicks where springtime was located. Correct. It's like, it's a really interesting dynamic, right? Because I've opened a bunch of restaurants. I've closed a bunch of restaurants. And, you know, you always think, man, if I could start over in this space again, I would do everything different, or I would do these things different. 
And you actually had that opportunity. You closed down springtime, reconceptualized, came up with a whole new concept, much tighter, really well thought out, and it was called Red Chicks. What was the inspiration behind the concept? What did trend analysis look like? How did that play a role in the creation of the brand? Absolutely. So yes, I did have that opportunity and I took advantage of it to the max, right? So like I said, we were looking at changing the concept and we were looking at a couple of different ones. Burger joint was one of the things that we were looking at because we didn't really have a good burger place in downtown back then. And fried chicken, not the Nashville hut, but the regular fried chicken because we didn't have that in downtown back then as well. And as we were doing research about fried chicken, we came across Nashville hot. And this was the period of time that we had the store closed already for construction and refacing everything. And I took my time and flew out to Nashville for about two weeks just to try the original concept and try the food. So I went to every Nashville hot chicken restaurant in Nashville and try everything my goal was to get something out of it. So any recipes, any tips as to how to make it and all that. So from the Uber driver that picked me up from the airport to the bellman at the hotel that we were staying at, I asked anyone and everyone if they knew any family members that knew how to make Nashville hot chicken. And a couple of these folks actually called me up after a couple of days and they were like, hey, I asked my sister and she knows how to make it. Do you want to come over? And so we did, we went to their place, a couple of them, and they showed us everything from scratch and the seasoning and all that. So we got those recipes. And one of the days that I was going from one national hot chicken restaurant to the other, and I asked the Uber driver, I was like, do you know anyone who knows how to make homemade national hot chicken? And he was like, yeah, my cousin owns a national hot chicken restaurant. Do you want me to just take you there? I was like, that would be great. So we went there, spent all day in that restaurant. So the guy showed me back of the house, front of the house, everything from breading to the chicken, marination, all of it, which I'm grateful to this day. We're still in touch. And so I took all that, brought it back. We didn't touch the recipe of the seasoning. It's the original Nashville hot that we brought from Nashville. Our sauce recipe is the same. We didn't touch it. The only part that we worked on, and uh, I would say it's been touched by about eight different chefs, is the actual fried chicken part of it. And before that, I didn't know how hard it is to actually cook a nice fried chicken, to have a light batter, and to make sure that the batter sticks throughout delivery or if the chicken sits out there and the batter doesn't hold grease in it and it doesn't get oily and all that good stuff and holds the crunch and the crunch doesn't go away after five minutes. So that piece we worked on for probably about a year to get it right. I mean, we were in operation, but our fried chicken product was not perfect. So we were taking all the comments from customers on what it's lacking and what's not good about the product. It took us about nine months or a year to figure it out and have the product that we've been serving for the last two and a half years. We figured that out before we go about expansion. We wanted to make sure that we have everything in place. The recipe and everything that it takes to create that product is something that we can easily duplicate. So the consistency is there when we go about expansion. So here you are almost four years later. How many items are on that menu? 
I think about 10 or 12. Yeah. I've been very strict (laughs) on not adding items on that menu, Josh. And there are a lot of great ideas. Like I have a list of the ideas that we want to add on the menu, but it's just one of those things that I'm like, no, we are going to stick to this menu. And then all these menu items are great and unique and different, which is not in this category of national hot chicken. You don't see it anywhere else. I mean, as what it is right now, our menu, I think, is too big for a national hot chicken concept, right? But we decided to not have just a typical menu of sandwich and tenders. We wanted to be innovative and bring a couple of unique items on the menu. So we did that. And with the menu items that we have put together so far, we've decided we're going to launch these as monthly promos. And so we provide the food out there and we have the item out there so people can experience it and it has to be absolutely fantastic for us to add it to the menu but i'm very keen on keeping our menu simple and short as it is right now i can imagine it's riding this line right like you did a trend analysis you saw that nashville hot chicken was an exciting new thing but you're also trying to build brand equity so that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when Nashville hot is less of a thing, right? Because all of these things are cyclical, that you're still relevant and that you still matter to the people that are interested in what you do for a living. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to help you take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa business card in Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa business card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Once again, that's visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Visa, a network working for everyone. How do you build that brand equity off of a trend? What have you guys put into place to make sure that this is a timeless concept, even though in this moment it's a timely concept? Right. Right. Great question. So there are a couple of aspects when we decided on expansion and we decided that this is something that we want to run with. One was Nashville hot chicken is not really a new concept as much as it is a new concept, right? We have basically took a very traditional food and we are serving it in a non-traditional way. After all, it's fried chicken. The only difference is now I just have different heat levels and seasoning on it. So it gives a different flavor to it. But at core, we are serving, I would say, the second most favorite food in the United States, right? We're serving fried chicken. So that gives us some stable platform to play on as we're dealing with an item that people are familiar with. Is not something that we are introducing to the masses. We don't have to educate them about this item. It's something they're familiar with. We're just serving it untraditionally. So that's one. Another one is, as you mentioned, you got to be able to keep up with the trends that come, right? So the items that we have right now, they're great. And because the 
concept is new in the market, then any item on the menu is new until we reach that plateau of, okay, so now what, right? Like people have had this item for the last couple of years and it's all great, but now what do you have to bring to the market so you last that long? So we have thought about that. There are options, like I said, Right now, our menu, we didn't just stick to the chicken part. We have seafood, a touch of a seafood on our menu. And the innovative items that we have and more to come as the trend goes by, right? Because I feel like Nashville hot chicken or Nashville flavor, I would say, this is just the beginning. And it can come into a lot of different concepts. There are opportunity for a lot of infusions. There's opportunity for a lot of new items on menus that are not natural hot chicken concept. And we have seen that already starting. We've seen that the giants, like major fast food concepts, are getting in the door and trying to have a natural hot chicken flavor on the menu. And we also see mom and pop shops that they're trying to bring natural hot flavor or a hot chicken on their menu in a way Maybe not a traditional way, but how it fits their menu. And I think this is just a start. I think this trend will by itself carry for the next three, four, five years. Another thing that we are looking at as we are growing right now is that when we opened our restaurant in downtown LA, I think we were one of the first five National Hot Chicken restaurants in LA. Within the last four years, I think National Hot Chicken has grew to 40, 50 restaurants and different brands in LA and still growing. It's not like it used to be that every month there was one store popping, but it's still growing. You still see new concepts opening. And when we look at the overall map of LA, we feel like there's still a lot of pockets that National Hot Chicken is not there and there's opportunity. Now, this took LA about four years, and we are still not capped out. As we are expanding throughout the nation, I think this is, before it gets capped out, it has a life, a shelf life of maybe another five, seven years throughout the nation, maybe if we push it eight years. So there's a good amount of time till we cap out and be like, okay, now we need to bring something new to the table. But I think the winner is the brand that doesn't wait for that five, seven, eight years, right? So we got to bring those items gradually into the table and just keep up with the trend. And that's what we are trying to do with having these new items released as a promo for a month or two or three or seasonal menu items that we're going to add to just keep up and bring in new items to the menu so people can come back and try these new stuff as National Hot Chicken gets normalized and not a hot concept anymore. Talk to me about your growth strategy. So there are a couple of aspects that we looked at. We obviously, just like any other brand, we want to grow as fast as we can. The market is open, so we want to get as much market share as we can. But one of the things that it's our core, Josh, is what's right for the brand. And we definitely want to grow as fast as we can. But we don't want to sacrifice the brand, the quality of the brand, the consistency of the food, the customer service experience, and the support that we want to offer our franchisees. We don't want to sacrifice any of these just because we want to grow as fast as we can. So we want to grow fast, but the priorities are 
making sure the brand integrity is there, making sure we can provide support to our franchisees and we can keep the consistency. So currently we are expanding in four states, California, Arizona, Nevada, and Texas, closest to California. So we can offer that. Obviously our goal is to expand throughout the nation and then eventually globally. But at this point, that's how we have put our strategy into place to make sure that we can grow in a rate that we can offer the same quality of support and consistency and product. Talk to me about your reaction to the pandemic and how you guys were able to scale and build brand awareness during such a difficult time. There were multiple aspects in this. One, I think the fact that we were just a little ahead of the curve on technology helped us drastically. We had our own app in place already, which gave us a great outreach to our customers through push notifications and email blasts and all that. That was a big piece. Another one was the growth that we had on our social media platform with only one store. We now have over a million followers on TikTok and close to 120,000 followers on Instagram. But we had great outreach on our social media and communicating with our customers and basically use it as a marketing platform. That helped us a lot. In regards to operation, so initially, due to COVID, we closed for one day, readjust everything in the kitchen, talk to our staff. Our goal was not to let anyone go, but we didn't know what's coming. So the first couple of days after that one day, we worked in the kitchen ourselves in front of the house and tried to figure out what's the feel of the customers, how can we make this happen and not close for COVID. And because of all those elements that we had in marketing, I feel like our sales didn't fall at all. We actually grew, but it was challenging. The challenges were, how do we keep it going? The supply chain, initially, the first month and a half was just a mess. So just running around and making sure we have all the products in-house and also keep everyone safe, especially our staff, so we can keep the stores open and serve the customers that were looking at us to get the food and get their meals. That was another aspect. But our mindset was we're going to keep the stores open no matter what. So we went initially all in on finding solution versus what are the problems, right? So let's just have come up with solutions as much as we can to keep this going. The only time that we actually closed was due to the riots that we experienced in downtown at our store was attacked and we were closed for close to six weeks. But due to COVID, we only closed one day and all hands on deck. Me and my partner, we were in store every day. Another thing was to keep that morale up for our employees. So it's not that we're just throwing them in the business and say, you work in and we're going to just come at the end of the day and close the register. It was being there. We literally working with them every day in that kitchen. So we are part of what's going on and part of keeping it up. Those little elements, I think, it helped us drastically. And on the other side, I think the fact that our customers, they saw that, well, they knew us, right? A lot of customers, they know us. And them seeing that we are actually there in the restaurant and we are working it day in, day out, I think that brought a lot of respect and that connection for them to coming back and supporting the restaurant. So 
I would say those are the highlights of how we adjusted and what helped us. When you look to the future and you look to growth and growth opportunities, you've chosen this franchising model. For those that are unfamiliar, what are the pros and the cons of going that route? The number one pro is the speed of growth. You can't match that with any other program or any other business strategy. You can grow really fast. The challenge of it is finding the right franchisee that would actually duplicate you or your mindset and your ethics and the love that you have for your brand and how much you care about the brand and actually put that into effect and do the same thing, I don't know, 800 miles away from you when you can check on them on daily basis physically and you can't be there to make sure that everything is going the way it's supposed to. I think that's the most challenging part is finding the right franchisee to take your concept out there and represent you in a state or in a city that you're not in yourself. That's the most challenging part. I would think for you personally, it's a completely different dynamic. Did you go from serving your teams and your partners and your customers to working with franchisees on a regular basis, right? Entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, veteran restaurateurs, brand new restaurateurs. Obviously, there are many dynamics to that relationship, but more than anything, you're becoming a professional mentor. True that. And again, I'm going to go back to my days at airport, right? So a lot of experience from that. At the airport, I was technically the franchisee of many brands, right? So I've experienced it all with different brands. I've experienced it when you get the support from the brand and they're there for you anytime and whatever you need, they're there. And I've also experienced it with the brand that the promo is launched and you're still missing the material and the marketing for it. And you don't know how the POS station has to be set up for it and all that stuff. And so I experienced both. Right. And I also experienced the best practices as to how to communicate what to do as a franchisee. Right. So I knew a lot of what I don't want to experience as a franchisee. So that gave me a good insight as to what I want to make sure my franchisees don't feel and don't come across and don't face. On the mentorship part, again, that host helped me a lot with that because. For about four years out of the eight years that I was at host, I was running a branch with over $30 million revenue and 400 employees. And I think I had close to 22 assistants in that position. So keeping all these guys on the keep up to do the business. And now we're not talking about one brand, right? Like John Wayne Airport, when I was running, I was dealing with 12 different brands in 16 different outlets. So keeping the standard of every brand and the quality of every brand and making sure that the products don't mix and match in different concepts and you keep that standard, how to put a system in place for that to happen would also help me a lot as to if I'm a franchisee to the brand and now my assistants are technically a franchisee of me, running the operations. So how do I translate this through 
together to my assistants and store managers and make sure that they keep up everything they're supposed to to represent the brand right so i'm not saying that i know it all i'm not saying that i'm not coming across things that i'm like i didn't think of that and like how do i deal with this now but i had a good amount of knowledge to at least take care of the bases there are a lot of things that come across that it's my first time and I'm lucky, I would say, and fortunate to have those connections with the CEOs and the VPs of these major brands that I worked with back at the airport that I can reach out to as a mentor and say, hey, this is what I'm coming up across, or this is the challenge with our growth and picking on sites or wedding this franchisee or the conflict of interest that the existing franchisee might have with the other brand that they already have some units with. So there are some stuff that I'm coming across and I have to figure it out or I have to reach out for mentors and get direction as to what's the best way to do it. So to some extent is a learning experience. To some extent is I'm at least comfortable with the bases and a lot of things that I know and I can put in place. And then some stuff that I don't know, which I feel like I'm lucky in a way that Knowing the basics gives me more time to focus on things that I don't know and figure out the way to do it. I read a lot of books. I use LinkedIn to reach out to people that I look up to and say, I've looked up to you for the last five, 10 years in the industry, and I think you're great at what you do in your position. Can I borrow you for half an hour? And I have a couple of questions that I think you can help me. Now, you don't get a yes answer from all of them, you know, but there's some that they're like, absolutely reach out to me. This is my number. Call me and, and we'll talk about what you need. I go to a lot of events and I try to make those network connections and ask those that have been in franchising as a franchisee and a franchisor, right? Because I can learn from both of them. Like we have talked about before, Everything that I'm coming across as a challenge, someone at some point have came across and fixed it and overcame that challenge. So I just have to find that one person or two or three and <laughs> and ask them how they did it. So I try to do all that. It's exciting. I love what I do. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Like I said, I'm still a student in this industry and I'm still learning a lot. But one thing that I would say I've learned within the last 20 years, going from being a dishwasher to where I am today and where I want to be 20 years from now is one, self-development is the key. It's all about knowing yourself first. If you get to know yourself, you'll know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And the way it worked for me was, I work on my strength and I make them stronger and stronger. If I'm a good operator, I want to be the best operator. And then if my weaknesses are in, I don't know, accounting, then I don't want to spend a minute on accounting. I'll get someone else who's the best at that to do that for me. If I'm not good at marketing, I'll get someone else to do that for me. And I think that's definitely the core of what I've experienced and what has worked for me. The great reflection of that is our social media. I know there are a lot of restaurateurs that are running their own social media and they think it's just taking a picture and posting it. But 
if you look at my own Instagram, I only have 200 followers. I'm not good at social media. So instead of doing it ourselves, I went out and I found a group of folks that they're the best at running social media and I let them do the job, right? I can have great ideas. I can have great creativity about how to do things. Some of it are probably not the best and they never come to life. Some of them are good and they come to life and do good. But at the end of the day, the way I do these things is the social media team has 100% freedom to do what they think is good for social media. And I trust their judgment, right? Our media team with putting the videos together and the clips together and all that, trust them 100%. Whatever they think is good and is right, that's what we're going to do. But it all starts as knowing yourself, right? That awareness about yourself, that what you're good at, just try to be the best at that and let everyone else that they're good at those little things do their job. And I think that would help the growth of any brand or even a single unit drastically smoother, faster, better. I would say that would be one thing that I would share. That self-awareness is key. That's Sean Lazarian. For more on The Red Chicks, visit theredchicks.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.